Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. Uh, the scripture's not going to be on the screen this morning, but you can follow along in the back of your bulletins if you'd like. So we're going to be reading a series of verses from Ephesians chapter 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is God's word. Some of you know um, I, have, uh, I have, have a couple of kids at home, and uh, one of the things that I have noticed with them that um, as a dad, certain heights that they grow to are dangerous. So Gideon is just past that dangerous height, but he used to be just the height right around here, and he would come running in for a hug. And like at that age, their head weighs is like half the body weight. And so they were painful hugs many times. I love you too, buddy. Uh, and, and we wrestled too. Like that's one of the things that's just standard fare in our house. My wife, Jen, has been banned from the wrestling for two reasons. One is she has elbows that could cut glass. Like they're beautiful, but incredibly dangerous. And secondly, because she thinks the goal is to win. I'm like, honey, it's the Savage Ballet. Like, no one's trying to win, but she just comes in there flying, and so we have all gotten hurt, so she just watches uh, now. Uh, but it made me think about the fact that, you know, the closer people are to you, the, the more able they are to hurt you, right? Like, the closer in they come, the more potential they have to do damage. And, and we've been talking about it. Maybe you're just joining us here. You've been tracking with us over the last few weeks in a series on forgiveness. And in some of the conversations that I've had with people, and certainly as I've just been thinking about this and praying about this, one of the primary areas that many of us have felt hurt that has created these, these opportunities or needs or issues of forgiveness or places where we have hurt are in our families, our biological families, our family tree, if you will. Um, they are the relationships in our lives, as parents, as children, spouses, uncles, aunts, and siblings, the, the people that have come closest to us, and therefore, in their closest to us, the potential for there to be damage, to be friction, to be things that were said that shouldn't have been said, or things that weren't said that should have been said, whether it was little things that maybe we're even unaware of and just the way it is in your family or perhaps big things that have happened that all of us have hurt and been hurt in family relationships. And so if we're going to get into this issue of forgiveness, we can't not deal with the family tree. Maybe even as you come in here this morning, 
you are aware of those dynamics. Maybe some of them are, are directly impacting you. Maybe you're right in the middle of them. Maybe it's in a marriage that you're in and you know there's been stuff that's happened, maybe small things, maybe big things, but there's created opportunities for forgiveness and, and I suppose opportunities for unforgiveness as well. Maybe in your family, in your family of origin, as you were growing up, you think about the relationship you had with your parents and you know there was stuff that shouldn't have been done that was done, stuff that should have been done that wasn't. Maybe it happened a long time ago or maybe it's just still happening even as an adult and you're aware of that dynamic. Or maybe you're a child and you're still um, in, your, in your teenage years or young adult years, you're living at home and you, so you're still aware of that dynamic. Maybe in your extended family, there's stuff. And maybe you'd say, well, that doesn't directly affect me, but I've seen stuff that's gone on between aunts and uncles and, who are siblings, right? And it's kind of affected the family. And so in one way or another, whether it's been in the past or a present reality that you are actually in the middle of right now as you come in here this morning, there are dynamics within our family tree that have created opportunities or the need for forgiveness and, of course, the opportunity for unforgiveness. And the trouble is with these relationships, they're the most complex to deal with because we can't just walk away from them. I mean, you can quit a boss that you hate. You can leave maybe a toxic work environment that you feel is, is kind of hurting you or where there's things that, you know, been, been water under the bridge, but you can't leave family even when you do leave them. Some of you have tried to kind of stay away from that side of the family, but you know, you can't get away from it. It's still there because it's in your blood. It's family. Some of you have maybe even left a marriage because you felt like I just couldn't deal with that, but you know, even when you leave, it's still there. It's still having its way in your life. It's still affecting you. Maybe you haven't left, but there's a little bit of a wall that's at the dinner table or maybe the Thanksgiving table or maybe in the bed. It's, it's just, it's not there, but it's there because you've just had that stuff that's happened. And so even though the reality has hit all of us in various ways, we can't really get away from it. And what, what's, what makes this issue of forgiveness so complicated in family relationships. What is amazing to me and what I guess we affirm and believe in every time we gather together, right? as the people of God. We always gather around the word of God because the word of God, as I've said to you many times, is not a rule book for life. You need something, you're not sure what to do, you look up the concordance, what about this, finding a job, finding a spouse, not finding a job, whatever, Where's there? is there a verse for this? Now there's lots of wisdom in here, but it is primarily not a, a collection of pithy sayings that somehow we can maybe hope to know that would help us navigate in life. But it is actually a story, and you know what it's a story of? It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of healing. It's a story of us being separated in a sense from God and each other and God doing everything, going to the greatest lengths and extent to bring us back together. And so, and, and actually there's so many stories in here about family relationships. And of course, Tony said for us this morning, that's where the Bible actually calls the church the family of God. And so there is hope for us, for every one of us. Because maybe even you would say, well, that's not, it hasn't directly affected, well, it's not something I'm involved in, but I'm aware of it. And I don't even know how to help people, help others in my family or help people that I know navigate through this stuff or maybe say I'm in the middle of it, I don't know what to do because I really can't leave it, I can't walk away from it even though I've tried or even though I'd like to and yet it's there, what do I do? We turn again week after week to God's word and say, God, help us, teach us, give us a way forward. 
the passages that uh, Steve read for us this morning that we're going to actually look into. In one sense, you might look at it and think, well, I don't know that these are primarily about forgiveness, but since the whole story is about forgiveness, in a sense, so much of what is written in Scripture is about this matter. And so we read first in Ephesians chapter 2, the letter uh, of Ephesians was written probably to multiple churches in an area of Asia Minor, Churches like ours who were young, who were new, who were trying to figure out what does it mean that Jesus has lived, died, and risen from the dead. And the Apostle Paul says this. He's writing to the church. And he says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, listen to this, the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Ruler of the kingdom. It sounds like a comic book, right? Like what's going on here? He says you were dead in your sins. You were locked in to certain ways of living that you used to follow. And if I can say this for our purposes this morning, two dynamics that he describes. He describes the ways of the world, which let's just say for us, we're talking about the ways of our family of origin. And it says the ways of the, 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 power, the ruler of the air, which is the enemy, the evil one, the one who is trying to destroy us. And all that to say is this, you and I are a product of our past. We learned the ways of the world through the family we were born into. Now, some of you, that you are immediately connecting with what I'm saying. You're like, yeah, there's stuff that I learned that I just kind of came about in my family and I know it was kind of a mess and I don't know how to do it. And others of you are like, I don't like it when we talk about families because I feel bad. I feel like I'm saying my family's bad. And let's just say this. Your family is full of sinners. So is mine. We're all sinners. Sinners born to sinners. That's what we do. That's who we are. And so therefore, there are many things. And maybe some of you say, you know what? Most of the stuff in my family background was really good. You know what? That is a gift. And you are blessed. But don't check out here. Because every one of us learned the ways of the world from the ways of our family. And there were things that were done and the ways of your family, even some that you're not aware of, that actually have set you up for issues of unforgiveness or have created that. And the enemy of our soul, the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy everything good from us, has worked in our families through us to kind of twist some things up. So no matter what family you've had, there are ways that you have learned to operate that have created opportunities for forgiveness and, let's say, unforgiveness as well. In one sense, there are commandments. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, said, you know what, there were 10 commandments or commandments in your family, and they may never have been written in stone, and maybe even nobody said them out loud, but they were rules of operation. They were the way you did things around here in your family. And there have been commandments that you grew up with, the ways that have ruled your family, and there have also been catastrophes, things that have rocked your family, all of which has contributed to who we are, for better and for worse. And just to illustrate that for a second, I want to read just a few, some that are from his book and some that I just kind of put out there that said, these may have been things that were explicitly said to you, this is how it works in this family, or these may have been just things that, as I read them, you're like, yeah, that's kind of how it was in our family. And they were the things that ruled the way it worked in your family. For some of you, one of the rules was you have to explode in anger to make a point. Maybe nobody said that, but that's exactly how everybody made their points. Maybe there was not a lot said of the emotional variety, but when it was said, it was said in anger. And so the loudest voice or the most angry voice or the most intimidating voice 
had the final word or made the point. And nobody said it, but that's exactly how it went. And maybe because of that, you felt hurt. Maybe you were on the receiving end of some of those words or some of that tone. Or maybe just as you have memories of how things happened around your home, that's what you remember, kind of angry conversation. Those, those have created those issues. Or maybe that's just how things were exchanged in your family. Here's another one. Family is more important than anything else. That sounds like a good one. It's not true. And in some families that were really, really tight, that would have been really great until something went wrong. And then something started to blow apart and spread through every corner and branch of the family tree. Why? Because you're so tight. Never disrespect, dishonor the family, right? Love the family with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength was the commandment in your family. And so when anything was done that was perceived or even actively was a slight, a knock, a hurt against the family, it wrecked the family. Maybe you did things that were a little bit out of the norm. Or even there were times when there were fights and you didn't feel like this, it was disappointment, but in a sense, there was fracture. Or you've been aware of, and some of you come from uh, cultures, ethnic cultures that are honor-shame cultures, where holding up the family name or the family face was more important than anything else. And so if that ever got compromised or violated, it wrecked the family. Maybe not on the outside, but inside you know it kind of spread everywhere because family's more important than anything else. Maybe that was actually said or at least you know that's how it was. Here's another one. Maybe this was a commandment in your family. You cut off others when we are hurt. And by cut off, maybe it's like, actually, we're, we're, gonna, we're not gonna invite you to such and such an event. You are cut off. We're gonna act as if you don't exist anymore. Maybe you're sent out of the home or you're, we're not gonna have those people at our family gatherings or birthdays or anything anymore. Or maybe there was just silence, right? Some of us, the rule in the family was it was the cold shoulder. When you, when you hurt somebody, you got the cold shoulder. You got cut off. Or maybe it was just a period of time, but there was a day or two days or a week where nobody said anything to you. It, it was, it's, it's the rule. It's what happens. When you hurt, you get cut off. And what happens when it not happens? You get hurt by that. And so you felt shut down or cut off, either actively or just emotionally, verbally, whatever it was. Here's another one. Avoid conflict and confrontation at all costs. Maybe that was a rule in your family where we don't say anything and you know there's stuff going on but none of it's getting addressed so it's just kind of being swept under the rug and moving on. Keep a stiff upper lip and just keep going. And so perhaps you even felt hurt by that. There was no way to actually express feelings of hurt or anger or frustration. Anyway, we just didn't talk about it. And so there were hurts but they weren't ever addressed. They were always put under the surface. Maybe this one, if you make a mistake, you're going to hear about it. Maybe some of you would say, yeah, that wasn't a lot of praise handed out in our home, but if we misstepped, we heard about it. Maybe it's just subtle, kind of little criticisms. Maybe it was actively, whether it was how you performed in school or how you treated other people or how you looked or how you acted. When you stepped out of line, you heard it. There are many others. I don't know what they are for your family. Every family has them. Things that are said, but things that are, that, you know, even if they're not written in stone, they're written in stone. It's how you do things. They are the ways of the world, the ways of your world. And there are other things that not just ruled your family, but rocked your family. Maybe some of you said, yeah, they're catastrophes, and these are just a few. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there were, as it was addiction. 
Sometimes even something like addiction, we think, well, I don't, I, nobody, you know, even if you grew up with a, a parent who was an alcoholic or there was someone in your family that was, maybe you think, well, that's, that wasn't act, they weren't against me. Maybe they did nothing to you in that, but addictions hurt. They leave wounds. At the very least, they leave holes, they leave gaps. Maybe there were affairs, maybe multiple affairs. Maybe that was actually just part of the way things happened in your family and violence. These commandments, the things that ruled your family and catastrophes, some of the things that rocked your family have left hurt in, your, in you. You are a part of that family tree. But you know what the crazy thing is too, right? They actually are the ways that we have learned to hurt others, right? Because they're the ways we learn to deal with others. And so if, if, if in your family was you only heard about, you only heard stuff when it was bad, like when you stepped out of line, you heard about it, maybe you've realized, you know, and, and if you do have kids, it's one of the f- most frightening things ever, right? When something comes out of your mouth, you're like, oh. I just sounded like my dad. I just sounded like my mom. I know where that comes from, right? It's a scary thing. It's like, oh no, it's just happened. They just repeated it. Why? Because it's a way you learn. Nobody taught you, but it was caught by you. And maybe if if violence was a part of your family, maybe you don't physically hurt anyone, but your words are violent. Maybe if there's a lot of angry words spoken in your family, that's just kind of, you have a lot of anger, and so that's how you speak. That's how you deal in your family. So it's not just things that have hurt us, it's just the ways that we have learned to operate. And the Apostle Paul uses, you know, no no weak language, says you were dead in that. In other words, you were locked into that way because you were a product of your past. It's just things that we have done and have been done to us. The ways that we have learned, whatever the rules are, we have repeated them. For some of you even, it's just this idea that if if their feelings, whatever they are, aren't talked about, that's just how you work. Just kind of keep calm and move on. You don't actually know how to relate in that way, because that was just the rule of your family. But the beautiful news of the gospel, the reason this brings us good news, what the gospel means, is that's who you were. Paul says, you were once dead in those ways. No amount of little tweaking, and maybe you've tried. Just kind of, oh, I'll, just, I'll just try better. I'll try harder. I'll try just, just I don't want that, so I'm just going to try to do something different. And Paul says, no, you were dead. You were locked into that ways, but that's who you were. It's not who you are. In Christ, God has done something new. Look what he says. It goes on in Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? We were dead there. He said he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions or sin. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, or another translation says we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, that family tree may have been who we were. We may have been that way, products of our past, but it's not who we are because though we were dead, God has made us alive in Christ. That as you have come into the family of God, that's why you might have heard this terminology before. This, some of you know it's foreign to you, born again. Why born again? Jesus says, no, this isn't about, you just can't put some lipstick on a pig and make it look better. 
Something had to die and something new had to come. And so you have died to those old ways, those old patterns, and a new life, a new pattern has started in you with Christ. Amen? And so here's what this means. When it comes to your family tree, something new can start with you. Amen? That's good. Amen. It's true. When it comes to your family tree, something new can start with you. And in fact, something new has started with you. Because in Christ, you are new. Something new can start with you. We may be products of our past, friends, but we are not prisoners of it. We can die just as we were locked into that. We say, that is dead to me. That's not my new life. That I have actually been given a new family tree. And here's how the Apostle Paul describes it to another church in a similar letter talking about the same thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is what? Gone. Say it louder. Gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have been given a new life in Christ. A new, if you will, family tree. A new start. That something new can start with you because of what Christ has done. That he has come and saved us from the old patterns and old ways of thinking and has now set us on a new path where we are a new creation, where we learn new ways. He said, all this is from Christ. And it begins with forgiveness. Right? He introduces this idea, this idea of reconciliation. It's this idea of that God was bringing us back together. To be reconciled is to be brought back together. It's a relational word. It says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How? Not counting people's sins against them. You get it? The beginning point of being brought back to God as we were brought into his family was that he decided not to count our sins against us. Forgiveness opened the door for you and I to come into a new family. And then he says this, now we have been given a message of reconciliation. In other words, we are ones now sent out of the family, not cut off, not given the cold shoulder, not cut away, but saying, go out with this message and tell people that I am not counting my sins, their sins against them. How many people think that God is just this angry, judging God, right? Isn't that what most people think God is? And God says, no, this is the beautiful news. Go out with this message. God is not counting your sins against you. He wants you to come home. That is the message of reconciliation that we have. But then it says also we have a ministry of reconciliation. That just means we are living this out. We are people who are living out relationships being restored. We didn't just get a message about God doing this. We have a ministry to now go and be people who are what? Being reconciled to each other and reconciled to God. And so I just want to camp out for a few minutes here this morning. What, is, what does reconciliation mean? Because it is, the, it is the key piece in this journey of healing and forgiveness. As Dr. Chuck Lynch said this, forgiveness paves the way for ongoing relationships. 
right? That's what reconciliation is ongoing relationship. And forgiveness opens the door. What is forgiveness? Again, we've talked about this. If I could say it this way, Mark said, right, that, that whenever there's sin, there's debt, and forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to collect the debt from you, right? So, so forgiveness is not collecting debt and not counting sins against. That's that picture. It's the beginning point. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done, and I'm not going to count the sin against you. In other words, when I look at you, I'm not going to see well, that's what you've done. I'm not going to put on you or on your face what you've done to me or what you did to the people I loved or what you've done around me. I'm not going to count it against you when I look at you. That's forgiveness. But then secondly, we talked about, okay, trust, right? We said, okay, well, forgiveness and trust aren't the same thing. Well, what's trust? Trust is vulnerability and safety together, right? In many ways, if, if you got hurt in a relationship, it was because you were vulnerable, but it wasn't safe. Someone violated that vulnerability. Maybe you shared something with them and they betrayed your trust. Maybe they took advantage of your weakness. Maybe in a parent-child relationship, another there was a power dynamic, and so you were vulnerable, but it wasn't safe. Trust is actually being in relationships where we can be vulnerable and we can be safe. Now, we said, and Mark said this the first week, forgiveness and trust aren't the same thing. We cannot count debt against somebody, but that may not mean that we should trust them again in a situation that we were in. But that leaves us in a bit of a gap, doesn't it? Especially in our family relationships, right? In a marriage relationship, if there's been hurt, can you live in the place where you say, well, I forgive you, but I don't trust you? Can you stay there? You can't stay, well, you can. It's not gonna be good, there's the wall. In family relationships, these ones you can't get away from. You know, there's forgiveness, but you say we don't trust, but what do we do because something is missing? What's missing is reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is, it is the relationship being restored again. And reconciliation is this. The key to reconciliation is a willingness, and not just a willingness, but actually living it out, to invest in the relationship. Now, let me use an illustration that I used a couple weeks ago and try to, try to bring it and, and flesh it out for you. Remember I talked to you, say, say I have this friend and, and we hang out a lot and we used to, you know, sort of always go to events together or go for dinner or whatever and, and maybe I was the one always paying. And in addition, they were always in some kind of financial crisis that they were, you know, he was asking me for money and so I would, I would lend that money. And then over time, I just noticed, man, I'm always paying and I'm always bailing out and now it's like, we're like a couple thousand dollars in now and I'm not tr keeping track, but I'm just keeping track. Like, and now it's like, okay, so now I'm, now I'm angry with my friend. I'm a bit bitter. He, because he keeps just taking, taking, taking. Doesn't seem to be aware that it's hurting me. Doesn't seem to be interested in paying back. And now there's a debt that's collect there, that is amounted. <coughs> and what do I do? Forgiveness is being able to get to the point where I can release him from that debt and say, you know what? Actually, he doesn't need to pay me back. I'm, I'm going to stop keeping track of how much he's racked up. I'm not going to ask him to pay it back. I'm not going to expect him to pay it back. And when I look at him, I'm not going to say, liar, you said you're going to pay me back. Cheater, you're always weaseling money out of me. I'm not going to count it against him. So I'm not going to, I'm going to release him from paying the debt, whether or not he acknowledges or not. I'm not going to look for repayment. And when I look at him, I'm not going to see the cheater and liar that I, that I think he is. 
That's what, that forgiveness comes to that point where you say, okay, you don't just do that. But that's what forgiveness looks like in that place. The saying it has nothing to do with him. Maybe he hasn't even said sorry. Maybe he hasn't even acknowledged that this is how he is. But I'm going to release him from paying the debt, and I'm, I'm going to look at him. I'm not going to say liar, cheater. Now, I may not, it would be foolish to lend him money again. Okay, so I don't trust him yet because I don't think he knows how to handle it, and I don't want to keep incurring debt. But now we're in a bit of a thing because we used to be friends. And, and we don't see each other anymore because I don't want to keep going out with him because I keep paying and I just know and, and every conversation is going to end with him asking me for money. So I can't do that. So now we're not in relationship anymore. You know, I'm not Italian, but I live in Woodbridge. And this is what we say, right? We're not breaking bread together anymore. And even when I say, I'm not going to break bread with him. There's something, a symbol. I'm not going to have fellowship with you. I'm not going to commune with you. I'm not going to be close to you. But, but I'm missing, I'm missing the relationship now. So now what happens? H- how are we supposed to reconcile? How do we get close together again? I have to invest in the relationship. And what does that look like? I might actually invite him out for dinner and say, hey, let's go, my treat. Now, if I haven't forgiven him, there ain't no way I'm paying for another meal. I'm gonna buy you a Tim Hortons combo because you just haven't paid any of it back. Forget it. And you're probably gonna show up with a new sweater again. If I haven't forgiven you, if I'm counting that against you, there is no way I want to sit across from a dinner table with you and never mind pick up the check at the end of it. You see what's happened? I haven't forgiven him yet because I'm still keeping track and I'm still counting it against him. But if I am trying to get to this point where I'm saying, okay, you know what? He's never going to pay it back. I still love him. I don't trust him, so I'm not going to lend him more money because that's not even good for him. But I'm not going to see him (coughs) as a liar cheater. I'm going to see him as the one that I love, somebody I care about, somebody that I might even want to help. And so you know what? I'll call him up and say, let's go out and have dinner together, and I'll pay. Now, at the end of that meal, maybe he starts to say it again, you know, hey, can we borrow some money? I'm just going to say, no, that's not good. I I can't do that. And maybe if every time we're together and that's all he's about and he really just sees my friendship as an opportunity to, to use me, then, then I don't think I'm going to keep going. But maybe I keep praying for him. Maybe I send him an email. Maybe I send him a birthday card when I'm thinking about him. Maybe I even send him a gift card because I know he's always, he's always needing stuff. Let me buy you that next sweater. I'm slowly investing in the relationship. Now, he, if he doesn't return and he doesn't, you know, like, if he doesn't want to be with me, we can't be reconciled because that, that's a two-way street. Forgiveness is my deal alone. He hasn't even said sorry yet. That's, that's with me. But if we're going to be back together, there needs to be someone coming back and saying, okay, let, let's do this. Now, what happens if he starts to, over time, and we start to be in relationship together again? You might say, well, I still don't trust him. Some will say, well, unless he says sorry, we can't actually happen. No, no, right? This is often how, how we look for repayment, right? We're looking for sorry. That's payment because in most cases, let's be honest, money's easy. It can be paid back. Most of what's happened to you and I can't be taken back. It can't be given back. So what are we holding out for? Well, they need to acknowledge what they've done. That's payment. You are looking for payment. We say, well, I can't trust them again unless they know how they've hurt me. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Supposing my friend, we start hanging out again and I notice some things that are changing in him. He actually starts to pay sometimes. Then he starts telling me about money he's given away to people who are in need. And then he actually tells me I'm debt free and I'm actually downsizing and I'm just trying to live within my means. Is he changing? Has he said sorry? Maybe not. 
But could I potentially trust him again? Why? Because his life is beginning to look different. And I was close enough to see it. If I never make the effort to be back in a relationship again, if I never trust him, and in fact, if I never forgive him and I think, and I refuse to let him, remember I said, if, if, if you never let that person even make any attempt to restore the relationship, and you never see it as love, you never see it as trust, you never see it as them making an effort, that means you haven't forgiven them in your heart because you'll never believe what they're trying to do because they're a liar and a cheater, and that's how they are. But if I can begin to release them, I can open the door and maybe I'll make a small investment in the relationship. Now let's be more to the point. Maybe some of you, let's even take a case. And I, and I want you to think about this. I want you to think about relationships in your own life. If you're married, I want you to think about your marriage. Or maybe there's someone in your extended family, or maybe with, it's with a parent. You know, and I know some of you, and some of you said, you know what, I didn't, I just kind of grew up that way. I didn't really think about it, but now I have my own kids. Suddenly I'm mad at my parents because I realized what they didn't do. Or now I see them treating my kids with such grace all the time. I'm thinking, where was that? When I was, it was just grandparent memory. You just get to do that. But that can create anger in some of us and say, come on. It wasn't how you were with me. Maybe there's this relationship. And I just, so whatever that is, I want you to think about this in that context. What would it look like to release debt? What would it look like to, to restore the relationship, to actually say, well, maybe I will invite them to that event for our family? Or maybe I will send them a note or send them a card on their birthday. If you can't even imagine doing that, you're in circle one. <laughs> you're working on forgiveness. And remember Mark said last week, if, if we have realized there's unforgiveness in our lives, it's not a point of despair. It's just a signpost reminding us that we need to understand the grace of God more. It's an indication of where we're at. But if you could say, okay, I'm trying to be free, what would it look like to invest in the relationship? Now, in the cases of abusive relationships, would that mean, oh, you're just going to go back to that person and make yourself vulnerable? No, because that's trust. That's vulnerability and safety. But it may mean you start to pray for them. It may mean you start to pray blessing over their life. That, it may never mean that you're, you're going to be back in relationship with them because maybe that's just not possible given what's happened. But what would it look like to actually be a bearer of the message of reconciliation to that person? Not every relationship we're in can be back to perfect harmony, but we can be moving on the journey from forgiveness to reconciliation as people with a message of reconciliation and a ministry of it. What would it look like to begin to invest? And you know what I've realized? This is a cycle. This will just keep going. You know, because you, maybe you're investing in a relationship and maybe, you know, you're trying to restore that. Maybe your relationship with your parents is better than it was before or with your sibling or with a spouse but then something comes up again that's just kind of an old pattern. It reminds you what happens. You got to go back to that. I'm not going to collect debt. I'm not going to count it against you. These aren't like static points where we just sit, oh yeah, I'm finally here. Everything's fine. No, it's this cycle of learning to forgive, investing in the relationship, and growing in trust. And actually, all of that can happen even if the person never acknowledges the wrong to you. And you know what? I, I just want to say this. I know many of us are holding out saying, yeah, but unless they acknowledge, you know what? Even if they did, it wouldn't be enough for you because they can't give you back what they took. They can't replace it. And so sometimes we're holding out for this thing that say, well, when I get, when it's, it's vindication, right? When they finally acknowledge what they've done, well, they weren't in your shoes, so they're never going to be able to cry the tears you cried for it. They're never going to be able to give you back, in most cases, what you lost. And so even that will be unsatisfactory to you. It will not 
be enough to heal you. Healing begins in a very different place. Now, I know some of you look at this and go, I cannot even imagine getting there. Okay, so it begins with forgiveness, right? That's where we are. And so what, what we're going to do this morning and recognizing that this is, a, in a sense, a, an onion that we're peeling layers of. It's a long process. Even in a case of ongoing hurt, what if I'm in a relationship where there's ongoing hurt? The truth is, even in that situation, something new has to start with you. For your own sake and the generations that will come after you and the relationships that will go after you, say, God, even though I'm getting hurt right now, I don't want to take this on and perpetuate it in my life. Something new has to start with me because I don't want this to repeat itself again. Even in a relationship where I say, I can't change this and I'm still in the ongoing hurt. God, something new has to start with me. And it can because I don't want to repeat this pattern. I want to learn new ways. And so what I wanted to do is we're actually going to invite a few people. We got people who are, are uh, available to pray with you this morning. The rest of the service, we're going to have some time of worship. The worship team's going to lead us. And there will be people available for you to pray. There'll be pairs here, here, there, there, and then up at the top at the back. People that will just pray over you as you say, you know what, I want something new to start with me today. You don't have to tell them everything that's going on in your life. You can give as much or as little detail as you want. Um, they, they may have time after if you have a longer version of it that you want to give them. But you may just want to say, you know what, I have this relationship with this going. I just need prayer for this. Or can you just pray that something new would start with me and my family or in my marriage? Whatever it is that you want to share, that people will pray over you. And the worship team is going to come and lead us. But before we do that, I wanted us to have time to actually rehearse the new ways of our new family. Right? Because you and I have just learned over time and decades the ways of our old family, but we need to rehearse and remind ourselves of the ways of our new family. And so I'm going to read them. I'm just going to read them one at a time, slowly. You may see that and you may say, maybe there's just one of them. You're like, that's for me. I need that this morning. And then as Lori and the team begin to lead us, you just come whenever you're ready for prayer. These are the new ways of your new family. There is no freedom in making people pay. Forgiveness is being willing to bear the marks of someone else's sin. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. And this one from Proverbs, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. From Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Then from Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. And then this one that needs to be said over and over. In my family tree, something new can start with me. In my family tree, something new, God, can start with me. And so we're going to have time to just worship and receive prayer. So if you want to do that, you can just come down whenever you're ready. Maybe some of you are like, man, I've been waiting for this for four weeks. It's taking you guys way too long. <laughs> you just come. Others of you say, I just need to sit and listen and worship. And maybe when you're ready, you want to come up for prayer.
or whatever it is that you feel you want new to start with you. Whatever rock that isn't moving, you feel, God, I, I can't do this. I need you to do this. In our prayer time this morning, we were saying, you know what? Forgiveness isn't just about the steps of forgiveness. It takes a miracle. It's a miracle of God in our hearts. And so maybe you're just going to come forward and say, I need, I need that miracle to happen in my life and my family. Whenever you're ready, you come. As we were praying this morning uh, before the service, the picture that was in my mind uh, is that for many of us in many ways, there's like a, there's like a big rock just kind of blocking something. Um, and that this morning something would have shifted. That, that something that had seemed immovable to you before would have moved. And, and maybe, you'll be, maybe at this moment you are unaware that that has happened. So maybe it's happened in someone else's heart that is connected to you that needs to happen. Maybe it's happened years, but you don't realize it yet, and but, but soon you will. But my blessing would be that that's what would have taken place this morning. Would you receive that? Amen. Amen.